Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Yo, Knute. Hey, Howard. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm texting. Okay. So just carry the show. Nikita, you and Knute talk yeah. for a sec. Sounds good. Hey, Knute. What's hey, up? Not much. How you doing, Nikita? Is this what I'd have to put up with if I died? <laughs> yes. You too? I'm bored yeah. already. Uh. My texting is more exciting than that conversation. Oh, well, sorry. Sure. <laughs> All right, then. Then get moving, Howard. Go on. Great. I'm just finishing my story. Hang on. Great. Thanks for coming on my podcast. Oh, my God. Great to host you. Thank you, Send. What's the sound that it makes? Thank God there's editing. Why are you editing? This is riveting life. This is life in Howard's uh, in Howie Town. Yes, it is. So welcome to the podcast. We, um, I'm excited for the summer. So am I. Why? Because I get to be out of the heat of Phoenix. And you're going to the City of Lights. Are you coming to Vancouver? (laughs) It's light 24-7 where he's going. I wouldn't mind going to Vancouver, but I'm going to the land of the midnight sun. Ooh. Mm. Wyoming? Yes, Howard. (laughs) Norway. All right. Today is Crypto Day. Um, I have my good friend Vinny Lingam. He's from um, South Africa. I'm not sure which city. And I haven't seen him in forever because of COVID, but we did hang out quickly for a tea and a 20 minute catch up. And now I invited him on the podcast to really get caught up because we just experienced an epic crash in crypto. And Vinny is uh, all in on crypto, has been from the beginning, uh, kind of an oracle on the subject. We met, it's a funny story, I was in Ireland at a fintech conference. Gary had a best in his last company called Gift. GYFT.com, I got bought by First Data. And I'm like alone in, as, as there, I was just networking. I saw Utoro and blah, blah, blah. And Vinny was there. And I saw Vinny. I go, Vinny, I'm in Ireland. I got a golf. We were at the town where the Titanic was built. That's what it's famous for. Hmm. Your claim to fame is like the biggest sinking in history. <laughs> <laughs> Good building. Yeah. Ireland. Good job. Yeah. And uh, we, uh, I said, like, I want to go golfing. And Vinny doesn't really golf, but he got the vibe and he was like, yeah, let's do it. And he arranged a car. We went out to uh, Royal County Down, which is a fucking great golf course. Brutal for a person like Vinny who does. Brutal for me, and I'm average. Brutal for Vinny, who's kind of a beginner. And it was typical Ireland, windy and rainy and blah, 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 and dark and light and hail. And uh, we had a great time. And I think Vinny lost 60, 70 golf balls. And <laughs> we finally ran out of golf balls before, more, earlier than light, and walked off. And uh, and then went back to the city of Titanic, whatever city that was. And then we became, so we were friends, blah, blah, blah. And he, he I remember golfing, because this is funny, because Vinny's like a consummate entrepreneur. We were literally in Ireland. He's buying domains. He's on his iPhone. We're buying website domains. I go, can you not enjoy where we're at? And he's pitching me ideas while we were golfing and that's where he he had the domain civic and that's when he came up with civic.com we invested in civic which is now a token and security space we'll talk a little bit about that but he's been a prolific uh, investing in crypto and being the pied piper of decentralization it happens to be people from south africa obviously they know a thing or two about freedom 
and fleeing and liberty and oppression. So he has a really good point of view on all this stuff. He um, has uh, also got me involved in multi-coin capital, which I talk about a lot. We've had Kyle on the show, so he was an early yes. uh, backer there and brought a lot of us on board. So who better to have on after a crypto crash than Vinny? So let's get him on the phone. Will do. Vinny! Howie, what's up? Listen, you may lose three people here to food poisoning while you at our favorite restaurant of all places. I'm having like a, I think, and I took an Adderall right after. So if that, by the way, if I throw up and you see the pill, oh save my. the pill. <laughs> <laughs> they can be reused. It's not even dissolved yet. Oh my God. So welcome from San Diego, Vinny Lingham. Did I pronounce your name right? Yeah, you're good. Right. Good enough. So good enough. when did you leave south uh, wherever it was cape town johannesburg when did you leave yeah so technically 2008 although i probably spent you know the better part of like four or five months a year in the u.s for the, for the four or five years prior to that so i don't know i kind of like spent most of my you know career in, in in the u.s um but officially moved to the bay area in 2008 is that where you um, met your wife or where'd you meet your wife no i met her actually in south africa so we you know we, we moved together you moved together yeah. And do you miss San Francisco? Not at all. And you were Mr. San Francisco. You were like, I got to move there. That's where the action is. And do you think, yeah. and you did yeah. it for, for the right reasons. Are you happy to be out? Um, yeah. How would I, like I left before COVID hit. Right. <laughs> That's how badly I wanted to get out. I missed all the traffic going out. Cause I was about a year and about 15 months before COVID hit. I got out of there. I was like, this is, this is peak property prices were peaking. You know, like you could tell because I, I used to go to Tahoe from 2008 onwards. It's a good you know, two and a half, three hours. Okay, three hours drive would be a good drive there. It was like five hours, six hours. Like the traffic was insane. That's bizarre. The hotel prices. Hotel prices were ridiculous of what I would have to pay. I remember yeah. 09, 2010, I'd go to the W in, in Union or whatever it was there. And it uh, by the uh, Moscone Center, would be 100 and something a night. And it was like 800 a night by the end. I remember in 2015 when you were starting like 16, I was like, I'm not coming. I stopped going yeah. like in 2016. Yeah. I'm like, let it keep going up, but it can go up without me. I mean, for me, for me, 2018 was peak Bay Area in terms of like the you know driving into San Francisco took an hour and 45 minutes from the from I lived out in Los Altos, uh, Palo Alto area. So it was you know, from Los Altos, an hour and 45. Crazy. Uh, each way, um, you, there's no real good transportation. I mean, the Caltrain kind of gets you there, but it just gets you to the front, and you have to go through San Francisco. San Francisco is a mess. The needles, the crime, the the it's just it, it's just like. Why would anyone want to go there? And I, I apologize to people living in San Francisco, but like the other day, I walked past um, some two guys in an Audi, you know, just shooting it up, like broad daylight. I mean, uh, if you're going to shoot it up, do it in nice weather, like go to San Diego. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> That's our tagline of San Diego: "Come shoot up with us." Yeah, the, uh, exactly. So I was like, I, I, I'm down with this place. Listen, if I make myself laugh, that's good, Canute. I know you're going to be laughing if I'm laughing at my own joke, because I rarely do that. It's insulting. The uh, All right, so you moved down to glorious San Diego, where Gary and I are. So you, got, you knew San Diego was great all along, because you yeah. kind of were jonesing for it, but you finally had the, the, the freedom to do it. So let's go right into crypto. I told the golf story how we hung out and Gary introduced us and you were an investor in gift. I hope I didn't embellish too much of it, but it was just funny to see you 
kind of working we're at one of the most famous golf courses in the most miserable weather you're just like Howard look at this website and look at this and I'm like dude I can barely see because wind was coming and, and rain was going sideways yeah, yeah 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 so I just think it's a good reminder of how people I mean there's no way to make money unless you're working all the time I mean unfortunately people think that it's like easy but I my first take of you is like fuck we're in Ireland I'm trying to take half a day or a full day off to golf. And you're just, you're around me working. And I was just like uh, trying to survive. So what is it that drives you? You know, it's like, it's an interesting question. I think certain entrepreneurs have this inner sort of drive, inner inertia where you just keep going. And I don't even know why I do it, but I just keep going. Um, It's fun. It's interesting. You meet cool people. You do fun things. It's uh, intellectually satisfying, I guess, um, on many levels. So that's kind of why I do it. And that's why I got involved in, you know, crypto, et cetera. I just think it's fascinating what's happening in the world and how technology changes everything and how disruption just happens and improves things, right? Like with all the changes we've had over the past decade or two, we actually just have a lot more time. We get, I get a lot more done in, in far less time than I've ever done before. Um, I'm far more effective at getting things done without having to brute force time into the problem. Um, which is cool. So I'm like, I'm just a, I'm a student of life, I guess. How old are you now? I'm 42. Oh, so you're a baby. Okay. Well, congrats. Fuck. (laughs) And when was the, I know you got me, Yoni was the first guy to mention it to me, but you were really 2014 ish, very, uh, on the bandwagon. Is it from, is it because you understood it from where you came from and, and, in South Africa in general, or was it just your understanding? What was it that set it off for you? It's actually more, it, it was more of a, um, you know, getting into crypto and Bitcoin 2013 with Gift was actually more of a necessity than anything else. Oh, right, right, we were, right. So we were struggling with credit card payments because we would, we would take credit card payments from people anywhere in the world, just about, and we had, we had massive amounts of fraud. We had fraud from Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, everywhere. So we basically had to like trim down where we accepted credit card payments from. And it's kind of, for me, it was just weird because we've got this mobile app, which anyone, anywhere in the world can download, buy gift cards from Amazon um, and, you know, hundreds of other retailers, but we can't accept the payment mechanisms that they have in these foreign countries because the risk of fraud from Nigeria, Ghana, South Africa was really high. The risk of fraud, uh, even in the US was pretty high. I mean, I got tons of stories to tell you about online fraud. And so, what I was looking for was it like a digital cash system. Like, how do I just receive some coins digitally and uh, and not have to worry about repudiation of the transaction? And so I was saying to a friend of mine, he told me about Bitcoin, which I'd heard of before, but I didn't, didn't take seriously. And I was like, okay, let me look into this. And I started looking into Bitcoin and bought some Bitcoin, played around with it, um, integrated it into the gift platform, and it took off because we basically were the first place. You know, back in those days, you didn't have exchanges. So if you had Bitcoin, you couldn't really spend it or sell it. It was just really hard to do that. And we made it really easy for you to spend your Bitcoin at like, you know, 55,000 stores in America. You could walk into any store, buy a gift card on your phone, pay for it, and instantly get a gift card. Like we didn't even wait for block confirmation times. We just issue a gift card because back then it was, you know, safe and secure for us to do that. And it worked. And is that what first data like? Was it a quick process or was it not? I mean, the, 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 the M&A took about five months, six months. Um, but, you know, they liked the platform, the brand, the, the merchants we had. They weren't that excited about the Bitcoin side of it. And to be fair, like I grew the business to, you know, 
couple of hundred million bucks a year in sales after the acquisition. And most of that didn't come from Bitcoin, but the early sales did come from Bitcoin. The early traction that got you pivoted in the yeah. right direction. Yeah. Yeah. So we, 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 at one stage, we were 5% of all Bitcoin transactions on the blockchain wow. running through GIF. So it was, it was pretty, pretty significant. Do you remember what exchange you bought your first Bitcoin on? Uh, I bought it from an individual, a friend in Silicon Valley. But how did you like? So how did you buy it though? I gave, him, I gave him a check. I gave him a check, and he gave me some Bitcoin. But how did he send them to you? Or how did he give them to you? Uh, he, you know, I, down, I, I downloaded a wallet, and he sent it to me. That so was it's it. just a downloaded a wallet. Got yeah, it. back in those days, it was a very simple wallet. Have used. you ever lost Bitcoin? You know, um, I haven't lost Bitcoin, but I've had a phone that had about seventy Bitcoin on it when we were testing a gift where one of the developers wiped the phone. And I was like, dude, there was Bitcoin on there. <laughs> 70 Bitcoin gone. And back in those days, it was worth, um, it wasn't worth that much. It was worth maybe a thousand bucks or something. Uh, today it's worth a lot more. And what is the preferred exchange for you today? Like, can you say, or do you just keep it everywhere or in cold storage? You know, I have, I, I, I believe in, I like using custodians. I don't like using exchanges necessarily to store Bitcoin. But Coinbase is great for buying Bitcoin. Um, but I, I, you know, I tell people that don't leave your coins on any exchanges. It's just there's just lots of risks. Which you know, look, it depends how much you have, right? So one of the things people get wrong is like there's no such thing as absolute advice in crypto. Correct. Okay. If you said to me, where do you store your Bitcoin, Benny? Well, how much Bitcoin? A thousand bucks worth? Exchange yeah, is fine. Point. Ten thousand exchange is fine. You know, a hundred thousand maybe relative to your wealth, exchanges are fine. But when you start going to really big numbers, then you have to look at alternatives. And so today from 2014 in general, what has changed the most other than adoption? Is Bitcoin still as relevant to you as it was back then and just set and forget or has something changed? You know, I, I'll be honest about this and I haven't been pretty honest about this. Like I'm, I'm still skeptical as to the scalability of Bitcoin in the long term. Um, and, you know, I'm happy to be proven wrong. And the store of value narrative is the new narrative. When I got involved in Bitcoin, it was about, you know, digital currency, paper yep. currency. And so the narrative was changed by community, people, whoever. And so, you know, like Elon coming, you know, coming down on Bitcoin right now means that he kind of doesn't buy the narrative either. It's, you know, it's energy inefficient and the whole ESG thing that, that they got going right now on Bitcoin mining. I still have concerns, but like, it doesn't mean you shouldn't own Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I own Bitcoin and I tell people, if you're going to have a portfolio, you've got to have Bitcoin in it. We don't know where, where the world goes. Uh, it makes sense to have it. Does it make sense to be 100% Bitcoin? Absolutely not. Um, and over the past you know, years, my non-Bitcoin holdings have outperformed Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And that's because you know, maybe I'm just better at picking the right coins, etc. I don't actually do a lot of trading, um, but... You know, it's it's Bitcoin is is the the first coin. It's foolish to believe it'll be the only coin, and, and clearly it isn't. Uh, and there are lots of other coins that have different use cases and utility. Uh, the Bitcoin narrative hasn't uh, played out yet. Like we, you know, when we get to Bitcoin at millions of dollars of Bitcoin, uh, maybe it'll be a different discussion. But even now on this run, many people didn't believe we'd see a fifty percent pullback. I tweeted about it like a week before it happened. Um, you know, people were like, oh, institutions are coming. This is never, you're never going to see a big drawdown on Bitcoin again. It was all bullish, like mindset. And I've seen this happen so many times and people just, they don't get it. The store of value narrative isn't right because it's like Bitcoin is not a store of value right now. It may become one in the future, but it's not a store of value. You can't have, a, you know, uh, an asset lose 50% of value in a, in a week. 
I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? So I, I get that they're trying to have it become a store of value over time. I just don't think it's there yet. That's interesting. It's a moving narrative, I guess, and that's not healthy. Yeah. A moving narrative, even if it's... Well, the- I'd say it's moving less now because it used to be peer-to-peer currency and then it became digital gold. And that's the current narrative and maybe it changes. Yeah, I it's mean, an evolving you know. narrative. Yeah, it's evolving. Like Musk challenged the narrative yeah. by saying that, even though yeah. before and, that... And Musk killed the institutional trade. Musk killed it. Like any institution that's looking to buy it, now they're worried about the woke mobs going after them because they're buying and holding Bitcoin. So... Everyone was like, well, Bitcoin's going to go to 100000 500000 a million dollars this year because all the institutions are going to pile in. That narrative got killed. Hmm. It did in the tracks. No, that's a good point. Apparently, it was the same day that Goldman actually started their first Bitcoin derivative trade. <laughs> the day did that they? it crashed, but yeah. But maybe their derivative trade was to short it. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. So it really is. And what's your position on the way he... I even saw Fred Wilson chimed in that he loves Musk but doesn't like his tweets. What's your? Do you care what's going on in the narrative? I mean, I think that if you have a global decentralized currency or whatever you want to call it for the world, it should be possible for one person's opinions to move it if it was truly sort of liquid. And mm. the problem with Bitcoin is, Good point. you know, it's it's not that liquid. If you think about it, it, it just isn't. There's just too much. Well, anything uh, that drops 50% just can't be that liquid. It, that's exactly it. And a lot of it's, I've held these debates over time. A lot of this is held, like the, the, the top 1,000 wallets own like 50 or 60% of all the Bitcoin mm-hmm. out there, right? So it's highly concentrated in the hands of a few people. Um, and I say a few, but like, you know, a thousand people is not a lot. Yeah, the signs were all there, the rapid rise, the the consensusness about it. Uh, Musk contributed to that by putting it on the balance sheet, MicroStrategy, Laser Eyes, Diamond Hands. It was just like a consensus, like you're an idiot for not owning it. And it's fun to watch. I hate saying that because I lost some money too, obviously. But uh, we, we all did. We all yeah. did in the crashes. Like I lost money as well, but it's not about that. Like I'm in it for the long term yeah. in crypto and my Bitcoin holdings will fluctuate and I don't care. Like, But I, I feel sorry for people who have all their money in Bitcoin. It makes because- no sense to me. But this is what people do. And then Michael Saylor gives this advice to people as well. Like the maximalist approach to Bitcoin is, is is very dangerous. And you play with people's lives in a very bad way because not everyone can, you know, survive a, another three-year bear market, right? They need their capital. So unfortunately, people get bad financial advice. At the end of the day, you can't pay your taxes in Bitcoin. You have to sell it at some point to pay food, accommodation, whatever you need. So you've got to have a balanced portfolio of assets. Like It's just really bad financial advice to tell everyone put all your eggs in one basket. No one does that. I was literally thinking of Michael Saylor. Like he said that you should be mortgaging your house to buy Bitcoin and you should be buying the dip right now. Terrible financial advice. Yeah. But I think they're all getting away with it. It's become like the new Justin Timberlake is, you know what I mean? The new Madonna is, there's no celebrities anymore. It's like financial celebrity is the new celebrity. And these people can get themselves on a thousand podcasts and YouTube themselves. And you only have to be right for a year and now you're God. Yeah. You know, what's his name? Who, who everybody loves was, I'm so bad with names. But anyways, moving on to the next. I just have senior moment after senior moment around name. No, the guy, the truly institutional guy, the consultant guy, now speaking to us about economics and whatever his name is. Galio. Dalio. Oh, Ray Dalio. Dalio. But at least he did it for 30 years. Right. These other guys are doing it for like two years and they're becoming like uh, institutional gods. And we're seeing with Kathy too, Kathy. I mean, she's not an overnight success, but Mm -hmm. everything's Kathy Woods, Kathy Woods, Kathy Woods. So- 
What was it about MultiCoin that got you excited? What was it about Kyle and Tushar? How did you meet them? And, and I've had them on the show a couple of times. There's a couple of things. The one is uh, when I dug in, I had about five hedge funds get hold of me trying to get me on board as a partner in their funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were all trying to raise money, manage money. Obviously, I, I, you know, I'm pretty well connected in Silicon Valley. So I was actually actively looking to join or be a partner at a at a, a crypto hedge fund investment fund. I don't want to run it myself. Obviously, it's running Civic, but I want to get involved and just bring capital in and bring insights and knowledge that I have in the industry. In. And so they were starting out. Um, they impressed me tremendously in sort of the thesis-driven approach they had to investing in crypto. Uh, but what impressed me most was the key management side of things, because like every time I prodded everyone else on how do you manage keys, how do you keep the, the capital safe? Because like the last thing I wanted was huh. to yeah. join join a, a fund and bring in $100 million in capital from my friends and you and everyone else, and then they get hacked, right? That was like my biggest fear. Yep. Um, and so I, w- I actually drilled down pretty deeply on that with them, and I, that was what impressed me the most about them, is they were very thoughtful about how they did key management and how they kept the assets safe and secure and, and, and the, the philosophy going forward. So I joined them pretty much at the end of 2017, uh, and I came on board as a general partner, to you know, raise capital and think about the market, bring on deals, etc., and uh, it went really well. I mean, like in the beginning, like they were pretty unknown; no one knew who they were. Uh, made a couple of phone calls, got you know, got you involved, uh, David Sachs, and you know, Craft Ventures, etc., and a few others, and just a kind of a snowball effect of everyone piling in. And Multicoin became the, I think, probably the preeminent fund right now in in crypto, uh, you know, in crypto at the moment. So that, that was great. And I, I managed to bring in deals like Solana as well for the firm. So, you know, they needed a Silicon Valley presence because the guys are based in Austin and I was in Silicon Valley. So it just made total sense. Like, yes. And we also were very aligned in being non sort of Bitcoin maximalists about the, the fund. And, you know, it's called multi-coin capital. So, you know, multiple coins. So for me, that was some of the other funds I spoke to, they just wanted to pile money into Bitcoin and charge two and 20 to manage Bitcoin. And I thought that was kind of stupid. And so, you know, I just enjoyed my interactions with them and uh, we, you know, we came together and it's paid off really well. Multicoin's a huge success. And so what's exciting about crypto today? Like what excites you? Um, I think it's still a thought experiment that's being played out. Um, I I like the diversity of thinking that's in the industry right now. So you still have the the layer two sort of um, experimentation that's happening uh, either on top of Ethereum or even Bitcoin to some extent. Um, and then you've got the layer one experiments like Polkadot and Solana, which I'm, I'm a fan of. You've got decentralized storage that's happening. Um, I, a lot of this is experimentation. We're trying to see how this plays out. So I don't think there's any clear path, but we know that there's a lot of smart people trying to figure out what are the what is the, the next generation infrastructure for the web look like? What does Web 3.0 look like? And that that's kind of my thesis is how do we look at distributed compute, distributed storage, um, you know, and also just think about the world differently. Like, how do you get how do you get uh, to the point where this is a, a really, really liquid marketplace? Um, I, I mean, I'll go back to Bitcoin for a second. Like in Bitcoin, I, I say to people that Bitcoin is um, is not that liquid because well, you have to use exchanges, right? So exchanges are actually layer two, and like something on Lightning is probably more like a layer three, and that's because you can't use. Uh, Bitcoin to trade for goods and services directly, you actually have to go through an intermediary to get a market price and then back into, um, you know, so you, you, you'll sell the coins on an exchange, etc. Um, for something to be really liquid, you have to have millions and millions of transactions going through it you know, every day. And, and Bitcoin's not there. Um, DeFi is closer to that in, in the sense that people are using it to extract yield. Um, it doesn't always go through exchanges. You have mine, you know, farms and staking, etc. Um but again, we're playing a, 
a series of experimentations across multiple layers. And it's it's very, very Darwinian in a sense, right? The, the, the survival of the fittest. Like, let's see what's going to happen and what, what protocols went out. And do you think it's moving fast enough or is people just expect more because we live in a real-time world or is this, is it happening in a way that got you excited or nervous or is like, are the days you just go, because I know you've had periods where, where we've walked and you've said, ah, it's just not working, like the people are crazy in the space, but then, you know, another bull cycle happens. Um, so where are we at? I, I mean, I think that it's, it's multi-industry, multi-geographic. And so the problem is the ebbs and flows are not uniform. It's like the ebbs and flows in decentralized storage versus DeFi versus Bitcoin versus everything else. It's, it's definitely sort of geolocated to some extent, like certain parts of the world, uh, certain cultures, certain languages. You get certain cryptos that you know, no one in English has ever heard of that operate in Russia, for example, or China. So as an industry, I think you know, the, the, the ebb and flow of it is it feels quite fast, but it's not happening that quickly. Like, yeah, look, DeFi has gone from a couple of billion TVL to like nearly 100 in a year. So that, that's pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that, that's interesting and it's worth paying attention to. A hundred, you know, hundred billion TVL, probably not that, you know, big a number in the grand scheme of global commerce, but it's getting up there. Um, I, I think, like, I'm expecting a bit of a bear market for a while now where we go sideways before we try and go for new heights in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't expect us to break the 63,000 level again. I think we'll, we'll be floating around here. And there could be some, you know, more scary moments over the next uh, couple of months. But uh, I, you know, I tweeted out that it's more like 2013 and 2017 where we saw a double bubble in that year. Um, but you know, if things move up too quickly and the market gets ahead of itself, we're going to go into another bear market for three years, and that's just the way it is. And how did you come to meet Solana? Because I mean, it's so young. So what what, what yeah. brought you to Solana? So uh, I invested in a company started by a guy named David Quick. Um, and uh, yeah, he's a Bay Area entrepreneur. Anyway, long story, he introduced me to Anatoly, and who's the founder of Solana, and said, hey, listen, I, you know, I don't really know this crypto stuff, but a, a good friend of mine is doing it. You should chat to him. And I was like, oh, boy, another crypto guy. <laughs> Coming to my office, let's go and meet up. And Anatoly came to my office. And first five minutes, I was skeptical. And then after 10 minutes, I'm like, actually, this could work. And then after like 20 minutes, I'm like, okay, you're a really smart guy. Like, I don't care what you're doing. I want to put money in behind it. And that was the beginning of it. And I was like, okay, brought it into Multicoin. And, um, you know, we got behind him. And so it's just a venture deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it's it was me looking for good new protocols, I guess. And I, I, look, it's the only layer one protocol that I got behind. And explain uh, layer one. So, what does layer one mean? Layer one is where there's no settlement layer. The actual transaction happens natively on the blockchain. Um, but Bitcoin is like that. But then you, you know, Lightning, for example, is seen as layer two. I call it layer three. But you know, it's it's uh, batch transactions happening at a different layer in the protocol. So not every transaction on Lightning goes onto the the, the, the protocol. And so there's a there's two schools of thought. One school of thought is that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies don't scale at layer one because you've got consensus issues and um, proof of work, et cetera, et cetera. And so therefore you have to create a layer two or 2.5 or three system on top of that. So you can do that. I, I'm a big fan of just layer one. And I think that was the whole point of blockchain. So I, I, I liked what Solana was doing and I got, you know, I got pretty excited about them and, and they've, done, they've executed really well. And so what does it do today? I know Multicoin's explained it, but what do you understand it is doing today? What gets you excited about it today? Um, just the diversity of thought, the, the, the diversity of thought and experimentations that are happening is actually pretty 
Um, it's exa- look, we don't. No, I meant about Solana. Like I meant about their execution. So what is it that I mean? It's just amazing the way it's going. No, that's what I mean. Like, no, within the ecosystem, the diversity of thought that they've had around all the different. Like if you look at all the projects being built on Solana right now, it's Got incredible. It. It's like it's an entire ecosystem. And that's powerful. Like, you know, there's so many different use cases that people are experimenting with because when you have like transaction finality down to 0.4 seconds, um, you can do a lot. But mainly right now it's trading. No, 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 it's not. It's, 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 again, there's just lots of use cases. There's um, it's things like Synthetify, Mango Markets. Um, it's it, Look, DeFi is moving to Solana because DeFi on Ethereum is too expensive. Ethereum is still the leader and it's got most of the value there. But if you make if you make DeFi super cheap and super quick on Solana, I expect DeFi to find its way into the Solana ecosystem as it already has. But I expect it to accelerate there and, and actually it may actually hurt Ethereum in the in the medium term. That's interesting. And so where's the best place to go? Where do you stay in touch with it all? I mean, I'm on Twitter a lot and I'm in a whole bunch of groups as well. So I'm on a bunch of uh, you know, chat groups, WhatsApp, Telegram groups, um, emails. But a lot of it comes from just being plugged into, you know, um, obviously the Multicoin group um, uh, and other people I chat to in the crypto space. And I, I try and keep my circle pretty small because there's just too many people to speak to. Yeah. But, um, you know, I work with my trading desks and stuff and you, you, get, you get info what's going on, what's new, new projects. And, and people know how to find me. So I often just get people getting introductions to me. And then what- and that's the best, by the way. Yeah. Like I, the cold, the cold outreach stuff isn't very good. Uh, it's not good for me. It's not good for the entrepreneur because uh, when you cold outreach, you're one of hundreds of people and I have to basically ignore you because I don't have enough time in my day. And, um, you know, and when it's a warm introduction, like with Solana, that was great. It was like someone I invested in said, speak to the CEO of Solana and founder of Solana and it worked out. And what is it about uh, the macro? I mean, here in South Africa, we always talk about the markets. What's good, bad about the global macro right now? What are you excited about and not excited about? Well, I'm excited about the about the extra you know, $2 trillion in stimulus. It's pretty good for crypto. <laughs> $1.7 trillion, whatever it is. It's not me. The, but that's good <laughs> I for mean, crypto. Like anyone but- is in crypto so should be excited about every time the U.S. government prints more money. No, sure. But is there anything outside of crypto that has you excited? In tech? Um, I think virtual reality is actually interesting in the, in the metaverse. Yeah, I, I'd say a lot more optimistic on it now. I mean, when I, obviously when I was a kid back in the year, remember the 80s and 90s and yeah. virtual reality came out, the lawnmower man days, and you were like, wow, this is so cool. It was so clunky and horrible. Like, nobody wanted to spend any time in those virtual worlds. They were terrible. And the stuff you're seeing right now with, like, Somnium Space and um, Sandbox and, like, the metaverse uh, concepts, that are being played around with. Like, this is interesting stuff. I mean, I, I'm, I think Fortnite could launch some sort of a metaverse or VR world that it would just basically just you know, suck up 50 million people uh, overnight. So that's the thing. That, that's what I think the next frontier is. It's, it's going to be some sort of a metaverse VR world. Um, and that's kind of linked to crypto because I think some assets will be blockchain assets sitting in these metaverses. Um, so I'm, I'm paying a lot of attention to that. But like, like the, the two big macro events which, I, which I, I'm interested in is what does VR do with things like NFT and blockchain? And then what does what happens to centralized finance when decentralized finance takes over? Okay, and so, so, yeah, those are the two things I'm looking at. So DeFi and virtual. So in virtual, I know the new, you know, everybody tells me the new Oculus glasses are great. Tom and Gary got a set and we've made our own first personal foray into their um is it Facebook that's that's leading it because of Oculus? You think? 
or is it Tencent? Um, I think what Facebook is doing is very interesting with Oculus. Um, I mean, I have Oculus and I think it's great. Um, I think that space gets commoditized very quickly. There's just too many players in the hardware space that can build better hardware and even some better software. I think the real play is the metaverse play and, and how these systems interoperate. Like, you know, Fortnite owns a lot of the content and, uh, and what, 200 million gamers worldwide. They brought out a VR metaverse. Um, like, I think the content wins out in, in VR. I don't think it's the hardware. Yep. And so what is it about uh, post-COVID that got you excited? Are you going to be traveling as much as you think? Or is it like, is enough change where you can do a lot less? I'm traveling a lot less now, uh, a lot less. And every, everyone's very comfortable doing video. So I'd rather not jump on a plane if I don't have to. Um, I am looking forward to doing VR meetings in the future, in the next year or so. Like eventually we get to the point where people put on the headset and just go see each other in VR and have a meeting and I, like, I really think that's going to be a thing in the next year or two. And then what about security? I know you spent so much time with Gift and with Civic. Where are we with security? Like, what are the companies that are dominating? And, and what has surprised you the most in building Civic about, you know, where we were at with security? You can go, you're going to a restaurant, or you're going to a, just a random building with a whole bunch of people, and you ask them, hey, guys, who, who amongst you care about your personal data and your privacy? And everyone will raise their hands. And then you say, okay, keep your hands up if you've got a Facebook account and everyone will keep their hands up. Mm. And so, <laughs> so what is that? What is the turning point there? The, this, is the, this is the counterintuitive thing about data privacy and security. I think it's um, individually, our, our data is not worth much. Collectively, it's worth a lot. So companies that can aggregate that information make a lot of money, but like your data is not worth much individually. Maybe you get 50 bucks, 100 bucks a year out of it. You sold it. You'd be lucky to get that much probably. And there's so much, you know, like we, the problem with data is that it's individually worthless. It really is. Uh, the companies that need it, they need it at scale. They need like thousands of people to target and find that one person that they can sell something to. Mm-hmm. You know, you getting a money for your data is akin to you getting a discount on an item. That's really what it is because it's built into the ROI for the marketer spending the money marketing to you. So, so this is the problem. This is the conundrum with personal data and security. Now, the world of compliance is different where you know, companies who need to verify IDs and information for trading and compliance, that's kind of a different play where there's actually a higher value there because otherwise someone's going to go to jail if they have an OFAC uh, screened you know, user or, or user that hasn't been screened and is, you know, for example, based in Iran and doing a transaction, you know, the trade will go to jail if they do that. So that, that's more high value because it's, you know, you, you're trying to avoid jail time for compliance reasons. But when it comes to like selling your data and personal privacy, People say they care. They don't really care. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a Facebook person. I'm sure I'm logged in somehow, somewhere. It's just amazing how little we're trying. And maybe it's because we don't feel uh, individual. We can be, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm wrong because everybody can be harmed by, it's not worth much to me on my own, but used against me, it's a nightmare. So it's really quite a conundrum. I wonder what the tipping point finally is, or have we already passed it? I, I don't know. I don't think that it's going to be um, a problem we can solve anytime soon. So Facebook is still just a, a juggernaut. Yep. And when do you think you'll be get be able to get back to South Africa? I'm not sure. Uh, I really am not. Uh, maybe in the next year or so. But like they're doing such a bad job of vaccine deployment that it probably be a year or so. But yeah. 
I have no inclination to go anywhere right now. Yeah, so oh, you're like, staying. I'm, I'm happy just chilling. I like San Diego is one of the nicest places in the world. Yeah, so you're staying put. And then, Nikita, did you have any quick questions for, for Vinny? No, I'm just absorbing it all. <laughs> yeah, so Vinny's been like early, early doing this. And who are the people right now uh, besides Multicoin that are that are fascinating? The Solana project's interesting to you. What other projects are interesting to you? I mean, I'm, I'm a huge Filecoin supporter. I have been since 2014. Um, it's more about, I believe, in like IPFS in terms of... So the difference between IPFS and HTTP is ACP tells you to go fetch a file from a server, no matter where in the world it is. And IPFS will effectively like, um, like kind of like a BitTorrent says, hey, get this file wherever it's closest to me and you can get a local file. And so it speeds up the internet. For someone who lived in Africa for many years, having to go fetch files on US servers is kind of slow, painful process. Um, and so with something like in, with IPFS, which Protocol Labs, a team that built Filecoin, built IPFS as well, um, you know, it really speeds up the internet massively and actually allows for more sort of, and, and, and the, the, the acronym IPFS is Interplanetary File System. So you can actually basically build the same system on Earth that you can use on the moon and Mars as well uh, and basically access files that are more local, fewer hops, speed up the internet. And so I'm excited about the potential of Filecoin um, because I think that storage has to get decentralized. And the cool thing about Filecoin, which is since they launched uh, you know, over six months ago, uh, it's sitting on... I'm looking at the stats right now, 5.6 exabytes of data. I mean, just to put that in comparison, that's like 200 times Netflix's archive. That's how much capacity is on the network right now. Wow. So this is it's a massive, massive storage network globally um, with miners around the world. And you know, it actually has a real use case for mining. The use case for Filecoin mining is making data storage available on a global scale. And that to me is interesting. That's just, you know, Filecoin, that's a good explanation. Who's the furthest ahead with having a digital currency, do you think? You mean to the country? Yeah. That's China, for sure. Because So they're going to do it, but they're going to come up with their own. And are we the furthest behind in the U.S., do you think? I don't think we're the furthest, but I don't think we're, you know. America's kind of a slow mover with these sorts of things. But the politics in America around protecting the financial sector, the Goldman Sachs of the world, et cetera, is pretty, pretty big. I mean, these guys... So they, they, they establish, you know, the JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, they, they, they don't want disruption in the financial sector. They, they, their business depends on no disruption. So China can just go and say, well, screw it. We're going to issue a, China, a digital currency. You guys have to accept it and use it and stop using whatever methods you're using right now. And like, you know, it's, uh, China can do what they want. It's uh, so, America is well, a little bit more of a discussion. It's so interesting. Goldman Sachs, all-time highs. Wells Fargo, the last six months, doubled. JP Morgan, all-time highs. Like, this is long after 2008, long after Bitcoin's been around, long after the drumbeat of we hate them, right? Long after COVID, when the last time you went into a bank was never. Long after neobanks. There's something fascinating about the U.S.'s... Well, and there's something about, like, 50% of Wells Fargo customers still demand their statement by mail. So it's a big country, Right. Vinny, so that's part of the problem. But the fact is that Wells Fargo doubling, Goldman at all-time highs, really fascinating in an era. Something's not working when you have U.S. banks at all-time highs and Bitcoin at all-time highs. You can't have it both ways. To me, it's rather fascinating. So that's an interesting point about you know our fascination with, or, or is it just they own the country in some level? You know, when you like when you owe a bank a million dollars, you're 
you're in trouble, but if you owe a bank a trillion dollars, you're in control. They're in trouble. (laughs) So it's really a fascinating moment. Something had to give with all these cryptos running at all-time highs and Goldman at all-time highs. Right now, it looks like the banks are back in charge um, because they're the ones they, you know, the retail's going to scream, oh, we need the institutions to support crypto when the whole point of crypto is we don't need the institutions. So it'll be a fascinating next year. I agree. I'm I'm, I'm super excited for... uh, I want to get through this year, though. <laughs> yeah, we got to get through this year. Well, I really, I know you're busy. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, took a while to get you, but uh, I'm glad you're making it through the other. So it's good to see you finally, too. It's good to yeah, be likewise. out and about. Is there any action in San Diego? Like, are you seeing startups or is it still just super distributed in San Diego? It's a tough place to find startups. You know, I I think that the notion that startups are geographically located anymore is kind of dead. I mean, I'm seeing great startups everywhere in the world um, and people are distributed, teams are distributed. Uh, I'm not seeing any geographical bias these days for any new companies. People just like, you know, know, the founders may be based in San Diego or Austin or New York, but their teams around the world. And that's been a trend for many years, but it's definitely accelerated past um, COVID. So, um, and and I've been investing in people in Asia and all over, like it it doesn't matter anymore. And what's your favorite tech company, tech product? Like, I know you're into the fitness products. You, you like Tonal, you like Peloton? I like I like Tonal. Um, I love my Peloton, actually. If anyone from Peloton is listening, please can you just allow me to watch Netflix or whatever else when I'm doing a cool down? Um, because it's kind of ridiculous that I cannot watch Netflix on my Peloton screen or my trade oh. screen. I just ordered one. I didn't know like, that. They make me pay, the, whatever, 50 bucks a month, but I can't watch what I want to watch. I have to watch. And, and quite frankly, some of the instructors on Peloton are very annoying. So I'd rather just listen to music videos or watch Amazon Prime or Netflix, whatever. And I totally understand if they don't want to uh, make it uh, for non-paying customers, but for paying customers, we should be able to watch whatever the hell we want. And would you listen to a financial show like me throwing in stock charts and quotes? I think there'd be a great financial Peloton channel. I get on my channel. bike, you know, Howard, the last person I want to think about is you, no offense. Okay, well, I didn't fully mean it. That was a cheap shot because I wasn't saying I would be, although I'd be willing to do it. Uh, I didn't think people should the last stare thing I want to at see me. Is a, a sweaty, a sweaty Howard in front of me. No, but the <laughs> yeah, I agree. With last that'd be horrific. But what I'm saying is, you love markets, you love financial. You're saying you can't watch Netflix. So what do you do? You got CNBC. Like there's no CNBC's unwatchable. Well, so so I, I kind of turn my. I, I put a TV up in my in my in my office. I've got a TV in front of my Pelotons because I got that's the only way I can watch. Like what I've been watching uh, recently is that Formula One series on Netflix. I, love I heard it's it. great. I heard it's great. It's so good. So like, yeah, the Drive to Survive series. So literally, it's like it's like forty five minutes or so per episode. Perfect. Jump on, you know, hit the bike, watch uh, Formula One. It's like I love watching TV shows when I'm biking, just because it's you know it gets your mind off it, and you can kind of time box it, and you don't feel like you're wasting time. Yeah, you know, like I hate I hate binge watching TV like in bed, right? Because you're like it's just you're lying there doing nothing. Outside of crypto, is there a favorite company in tech that you feel like is a stock or something that you like that is under, not undervalued, but just underdiscovered? You know, I, I, I'm actually not a big stock market guy. Like, believe it or not, I don't actually, I have very little stocks. Um, you know, okay. I, I, like, I, I, I just, for me, stocks are kind of like old school stuff, right? I'm, I'm, I know I'm like, you know, 40 something, but I, I just, I've never really, be, I, like the reason is, I don't think you have an edge in the stock market. I don't think any individual investor has an edge in the stock market. You have no insights. Into the it's going to be you know? interesting as the next generation behind you is going to feel is bored. Like they're trading, 
GameStop. Well, they're gambling. They're, yeah. they're not trading. They're gambling. Like, I, this is called a spade a spade. They're gambling. And that's I fine. You want to gamble, that's fine. But, like, for me, investing in stocks in the stock market, I don't think individual investors have an edge. The machine learning, the AI, the hedge funds, they have all the edges. If you want to invest in the stock market, go, you know, go buy into, into those funds. Don't try and, like, pick stocks. Like, I, I think picking stocks is a full, it's a, it's a full hardy game. And look, if you want to go gamble, that's fine. Go pick a bunch of penny stocks and maybe you'll hit it big. I personally, I'd, I'd rather see crypto than that. Uh, so I don't really have a big stock portfolio. Like if I had to go buy, if you just have any years, you know, your time and money, mm-hmm. what are you going to go buy with? I'll go buy Disney probably and Apple. And like I'd buy maybe the you know five or 10 top stocks out there, which I think are going to be around in 50 or 100 years. That's about it. Outside of those, I'm not a big fan. I kind of my eight to eighty feels the same as you. I've like I, I wrote about the flipping that's happening for me. It's just the alpha, you know, pay the two and twenty. I've been harping on this. Like people should pay the fees and find people that truly are in frontier stuff. And yeah, I mean, my money. Like I invested in your fund, right? The yeah. Social Liberty. Because like I'd rather go and take a. I'd rather say, hey, Howard, you go and find some cool startups. And you you guys think can build a good uh, company and give me a good return. And, and you've done really well with the other investments, like Robin Hood and stuff. So like, you know, I'm just happy to put my. Oh, you got attacked. Nah, <laughs> I saw it brewing, but I think you're. We've been talking about this. I've been writing about this for a while. As people have gotten so cheap that they've resorted to gambling, right? Because like you said, the AI- Because everything's overvalued and we're yeah. in an asset bubble market right now as well. So people are taking ridiculous amounts of risks because yields have disappeared because the money printing machines gone nuts and eventually the party stops. So I don't know when the party's gonna stop. It might be this year, it might be next year. And this is why you gotta own some Bitcoin, you gotta own some crypto because you've got some hedge against what's gonna go on, but you should be diversified. I'm 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 not a big fan of individual stock picking. I'd rather do funds. I'd rather do portfolio and pay the fees. You're you're looking for frontier markets. So we're on the same page there. It's a good take to end it. I appreciate your time and all the uh, help in getting myself into crypto over the years and introducing me to Multicoin and uh, Nikita Knut. Thanks for not saying anything. (laughs) Let Vinny take the stage, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, buddy. Over the summer, I'll be back over the summer. Thanks, Howard. Good chatting to you. See you soon. And Nikita and thank you, guys. Thanks, Vinny. So there you have it. We see eye to eye on so many subjects. So people around the world, and he's calling the spade a spade. He sees what's happening in the markets, and it's true. Like, yeah. you know, outside my 8 to 80, I uh, the brands that I know are going to be around in 30 to 50 years, products I use every day, I find it really hard to call you know what I mean? Yeah. Other than for fun and speculation, to try and beat the market is really hard. And if you're going to try and beat the market, pay the fees, find people that are experts at what they do. And you can succeed whether you're in San Diego or South Africa or whatever. So he has some really strong opinions, uh, which is what makes, you know, for great founders and outsized returns. All right. You are listening to Panic with Friends. This is uh, Howard Dakita Knut. Easy to find us, Apple or Spotify or your favorite podcast app. Search my name, Howard Lindzen, or Panic with Friends. We're coming at you once a week. Subscribe. You'll get the alert in your email. Uh, We're talking to founders, investors, traders, entrepreneurs, people in my uh, network that uh, will help us find a little alpha and make us a little money. We will see you next week.